Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, a weekly podcast on happiness and work culture. Hi, this is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. You can follow us on Twitter or catch up with previous episodes. And you can you can find that by searching for us on Twitter, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, or at the, our website is eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. On Twitter, a few things are tweeted this week. A brilliant TED Talk by Anita Woolley. And I'll be talking to Professor Anita Woolley in a couple of weeks' time. But she was talking about collective intelligence and how many women you need in a team to maximise your impact. I think you'll love that. Homework is make sure you take the reading the mind in the eyes test. Everyone at my work took that today. In two weeks, our episode is with Daniel Coyle who has an interest, an incredible book coming out called The Culture Code. And excitingly, we're looking to bring him to the UK for a breakfast event in March. So details of that coming on our Twitter as well. Um, definitely, the, this, the final thing I'm keen to hear about is your opinions on pub culture. Was your work very pub-based? Did you feel excluded by pub culture? Do you wish that you had more of a pub culture at your work? I'm really interested in this British phenomenon of, of pub cultures and whether they're a good thing or a bad thing. So email me, podcast at eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. Very keen to hear your views. So today's episode is with two of the founders of Second Source. Let me introduce them before I go on to explain what Second Source do. Louise Ridley is a freelance journalist and editor, was previously the long form and special projects editor at BuzzFeed. Hello. Kirsty Brewer is uh, a freelance writer and writes on women, social affairs, inequality, published in, in publications like The Guardian. Hi, Bruce. Hello there. And so both are co-founders of The Second Source. And we should probably sort of explain what The Second Source is. The, uh, the, the website for The Second Source says that you're a group of women journalists trying to tackle sexual harassment in the media industry. Their website says it, they want to promote awareness of the problem, inform people of their rights and work with organisations to create change. Have I got that right? Very much so, yeah. So what's so what what's the what's the movement that's created the second source, and have you found yourselves here, female journalists working in in, I guess you know uh, the journalistic profession, and and how have you found yourself setting up this campaigning movement? 
it was very much something that followed on from the Me Too movement, which is sort of ongoing, and the Harvey Weinstein uh, scandal back in October. So around that time, sort of everyone around the world, I think, especially women, I guess, started discussing experiences and what they thought about the, the Harvey Weinstein sexual misconduct allegations. Uh, we are, we were just, so me and Kirsty sitting here didn't know each other before this. Okay. And we're um, among a big group of female journalists who all knew one other person, but they didn't know everyone. And this group kind of formed initially chatting on WhatsApp about experiences that we heard, uh, what we wanted to do about these issues within our industry, because this exists in every industry. It's not just Hollywood. Um, so we're thinking about journalism and the media. And we just thought that as well as sharing stories, which is really, really important and which has led to this movement, we wanted to try and do something about it. So we formed a public campaign. We meet up. We're going to try and do research. And we are offering a sort of alternative networking opportunity for women and trying to help organisations change and hopefully reduce sexual harassment. And so we're going to go on and talk about some of the things that you covered. But for, for people who might be listening to this, let's just go through the specifics is this like a whatsapp group that people are gradually adding more people to and they're sharing their stories or is it just like a gradually expanding collection of people because you occasionally hear in parliament don't you You occasionally hear about these these google docs that are going around with lists of names does it does it start like that i mean it initially started as a whatsapp group yes but i think we want to make it clear we're not a naming and shaming organisation yeah. so it's gone beyond just sharing stories and there's a core group of us uh, I think there's about 20 of us um, and we're going to be running a series of events we did our first event last year but so we are reaching out to everyone to all we met women journalists to come to these events and we will be setting up different working groups um, so yeah it's an ongoing ongoing thing and we've got a kind of clear purpose now so and whatsapp is really important for staying in touch but we very much move beyond that in that we meet up regularly we have wine and coffee and we meet and, and chat and we also use things like slack so you know we're, we're more organized organization than just chatting on whatsapp yeah. now as well and let's look at the the objectives of it because i'm really interested in um i guess for me there's like a big spectrum and you mentioned harvey weinstein there and probably at the other end of that spectrum but maybe it, it's actually in the middle is for me the thing that really stands out is joe brand's intervention on in hislop on have i got news for you and and this is probably a couple of months ago uh, now in fact i'll play a, a brief clip of it here because it's joe brand expressing really her I guess, exhaustion with this climate of continuous sludging against women. So here's the brief clip of, of Joe Brand. OK, try the next one. Tory MP takes his what to the cinema? Own sweets. That's <laughs> 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 <Actually> sensible. <laughs> it's personal trainer. There we go. Yeah, some of this is not high-level crime, is it? No, compared no, to, say, no, no, Putin no, or Trump. But yeah. okay, if I can just say, as the only representative yes. of the female gender here today, I, I know it's not high level, but it doesn't have to be high level for women to feel under siege in somewhere like the House of Commons. And actually, for women, if you're constantly being harassed, even in a small way, that, that builds up and, mm. and that wears you down. And I'm interested, do you see that as the opposite end of the spectrum or is that halfway down the spectrum? I think that it all exists on the same continuum and it's not really about kind of a hierarchical top trumps of, you know, what, which abuse is worse or it's it's really all comes down to the same thing, which is about having power and privilege as a man and feeling entitled and 
to a woman's time or a woman's attention or her body and putting that above the feelings of of the woman um so yeah and I think maybe you know thinking that your voice is more important it's all on the same continuum so I think while you know Harvey Weinstein's this prolific monster actually the kind of abuses that happen are very everyday and it doesn't just have to be one sort of explosive traumatic event it could be as we were saying earlier like death by a thousand cuts really and I think that's what Joe Brand is um, alluding to that it, it is very exhausting it's very wearing just in everyday life to be belittled and undermined or sexist banter you know and comments um, it, it kind of wears you down and it undermines you and it disempowers women so it's really we're really looking for a cultural change and mindset and I think as well as a spectrum of different things that have happened to people there's also a spectrum of awareness so we acknowledge that Harvey Weinstein hopefully knew he was incredibly abusive and, and awful but there are some men it's not always men as we say it's women in positions of power as well in some cases who aren't aware that these little everyday things are happening so it's also about making people who might have had good intentions and just not quite realized the small things that were going on to be aware of them and, and help kind of join this push for change that i think we're seeing in loads of industries what strikes me uh, is that the effectiveness of the movement was so powerful last year you know susan fowler went from timidly writing a blog post thinking it was going to have repercussions against her to be, being named financial times person of the year she was part of the time magazine people of the year she was number two on the um on the recode top 100 like incredible success and my fear is that this isn't there just going to be a risk of normalization of this that Effectively, that was last year's news headline. So how does an organisation like yours try to... Do you have a goal of how to keep it top of mind? Because you mentioned this isn't a naming and shaming. This mm. isn't setting out to create a, a, a climate of fear in journalism, but I guess to establish a new normal. Is that, is that yeah, right? Yeah, I think normalisation is so important in that what's been happening in the past is a, is a normalisation of these small everyday harassments that have been going on. And we obviously want to challenge that. But we also we want to normalise the the reaction to it, which has been going on, which is kind of the Me Too campaign, as you've said. So I guess for us, it's about keeping the conversation going about meeting people up in person, I think is really important. So we said we're going to keep holding events aimed at women in the media primarily or anyone in the media who says they've suffered uh, any kind of sexual harassment or anything like that. And I think, I mean, this is a huge thing. We, we were talking earlier before meeting with you. And so she's think about like, what can we research to try and look at the extent of this problem in our industry? How can we think about HR? How can we think about promotions? How can we think about freelance work? And all the much wider gender issues that this ties into, because we're very much of the belief, I think, looking at Kirsty as well, that we're talking about sexual harassment, but this completely links into, for example, equal pay and power balances in the workplace. So all of this is completely tied in together because it's the same culture, it's the same cultural problem. Yeah, and I think, you know, for a lot of women, while this is a kind of hot topic, uh, you know, in the, on the front pages at the moment, um, and yeah, you're right, maybe media does move on, women have actually, you know, long had these issues and actually have been discussing it with, among other women, and, you know, you hear about these whisper networks, and I think that that won't really go away, and you can't really close the lid on that now, I think we've, there's a big momentum, and I think this is a really good time for change. The thing that really struck me... Uh, I I guess there's a danger by us not going to a few specifics, then this just seems thematically like the trends that have existed before. So what, what, one thing I was really struck by was one of your co-founders, Emily Reynolds, wrote this 
this medium post this blog post um i don't i guess this was right at the start of when all these things started and this was called an incomplete list of the men in media who wronged me and i think for me it was the fact that she went into specifics that that seemed to be exacerbated by the fact she was a contract worker and there seems to be something in that that when there's a unfair balance of power when someone's requiring work on a month-to-month basis there's there's room for exploitation but I, I just thought I'd go into forgive me a couple of the specifics she details there because I wonder if you could then say how common these are based on your group so she she talks about how an older guy who was um, a manager in a, in a managerial position sent her a dick pic and then immediately sent her an email introducing her to someone important and i think the way that she describes it is that it's it's transactional it's trying to very clearly associate you know a quid pro quo that obviously is is undesired but saying if you know if you stay connected with me through this dialogue there's some good things that can happen professionally. I mean, that's that seemed remarkable. Then she was just talking about, I guess, the sort of stuff that is on the Ian Hislop theme. People saying, how can you get that into your pretty little head? Just really infantilization of language and gentle put-downs, but probably, like you say, you know, in aggregate, can act as... As a thousand cuts. Are these things, I mean, the dick pig, that seems horrific to me that that can exist in a professional environment. But is this what people are saying when you get together and sharing their experiences? Yeah, definitely. Again, it is very everyday for a lot of women. I think Emily's story is horrific, but it's also not remarkable in the sense that, yeah, we hear kind of stories like that all the time and people have experienced those kind of things. And I think that's why it's problematic because our industry is so, it is such a casual informal industry which relies a lot on sort of hustling and informal networks so going for coffees with people going for drinks and that opens you up to you know potentially um, bad situations with men because uh, you know a lot of the commissioning editors or people with those kind of powers are going to are going to be men and um, yeah I mean it's difficult you know do you stay you know you're warned don't stay for the last orders at the bar with this person or don't go out for a drink with this person but yeah as Emily's story um, kind of shows a lot of it's hand in hand it's not very clear you know yeah you might get a great commission or you might this is a great contact but at the same time you have to put up with you know ridiculous abuse or situations and it's very difficult Mm. and you have to work very hard to get there so I think a lot of people might think well why should I have to give up this and cut off those networks you know because of that it's really difficult Mm. the thing that's really clear to me from Emily's piece is she she uses the phrase emotionally draining and potentially devastating to have to call these things out and you can definitely see the conflict that exists there then when someone's trying to get their foot on the ladder second job first job they're trying to get commissioned on more pieces to put themselves in a position where they need to be calling things out Mm. why while it might feel the righteous and correct thing to do I can imagine the sense of conflict and burden that she she talks about mm. is, is quite potent. Yeah, I mean, to call something like this out in your workplace, you're essentially being a sort of whistleblower to your own mm-hmm. experience, aren't you? And, and it comes with all those kinds of pressures. People have, we've spoken to people who've left companies because no one did anything, or people who've had their work dropped, you know, have essentially been fired because they've raised these kinds of issues. So you're risking losing your livelihood. And there's a huge mental health toll about, depending, you know, how traumatic an incident it was but if it was something that was really really upsetting to have to go through it and tell people especially
especially if it's of a sexual nature, you're talking at work, that's incredibly difficult to go through. Um, so the mental health issues around this are really, really big. So once you speak out, that's sometimes the beginning of quite a difficult journey. So it does take immense bravery. And I think that's something we really shouldn't forget as this hopefully continues to be talked about every time someone speaks out they're going through something new even though we've all been talking about these kind of things for a couple of months now yeah and especially if you're the starting point is one of dis you know disbelief or disregard or trying to explain away what might have happened or trivializing it it is exhausting for, for women to have to go through that and yeah it's, it does take a huge toll on you there's a lot of online abuse as well in terms of um if people speak out they might get strangers abusing them online troll it tends to be a big magnet for trolls whenever yeah. women write mm. about any kind of gender or sexual issues so you get that as well which is obviously a lovely double burden <laughs> to experience but tell me this are you guys up are you guys optimistic about it? The, the i asked that question because i saw just over the christmas period there was an anonymous letter from vice uk employees and look, I don't want to put you in difficult positions. You're both freelancers. But, you know, a, the, an anonymous letter by female vice employees where they they raised some issues and they, I think under sort of a, a non-diplume, they raised some issues. And then I saw someone tweeting as a follow-up to it, someone saying that the way that that had been responded to was that the women were being heavily questioned and the company was going into lockdown. And look, you know, it strikes me it's a reminder that while we paint HR as benign and helpful, HR in a unsavory organisation are the secret police. Their job is to protect the, the... the HR's job is to protect the company, not to protect the individual. Sometimes we forget that. It's a bit like an estate agent thing. You mm -hmm. think the estate agent's on your side. He's working for the vendor. HR are working for the company. Are you optimistic? I guess that was a long way of me, me asking, are you optimistic about this? Yeah, I think, you know, whether we, nonetheless, we have to work with HR, they are a fundamental part of the company. So we are in the process of contacting all the media organisations in the UK and trying to speak with their HR and engage with them and ask them for their, what their sexual harassment policies are, oh, what their processes are. So we have a picture, we, you know, it's just a quite a pragmatic starting point, really, to start with that. Um, but we do acknowledge that you know, some people fall outside the remit of HR, people on insecure work or contracts, and also a lot of people don't get to HR in the first place. So there's obviously a huge workplace culture conversation that needs to happen. But, you know, we want to find out what the industry standard is and where the holes are and then work from there, really. Yeah. I think with the, with the vice letter, obviously, if what's in that letter is going on, it's very concerning, but it's a really good example of people coming together. So the fact that lots of these female vice writers have joined together to put out a letter, they've had to put it under an, no one's name. These are the kind of stakes that people are playing with. And again, it's another reason to remember that it's not just that Harvey Weinstein was awful and we've all agreed he's awful and we can close the door on that. It's proper sort of battles going on within workplaces that are incredibly important and will make the difference as to whether you have female leaders in companies it's incredibly serious i think that's why the second source is important because we're showing people that they're not alone they're not alone and we do see them and we have got their back and it's not trivial and it is valid so i think that's really important and on a rare positive note obviously we're talking about really grim subjects but we've all found it amazingly supportive and wonderful to come together with this group of about 20 or sort of almost 30 of us in total kind of on the outskirts I didn't know almost any of these women before I'd heard of them because we're all sort of fellow journalists and now I've got all these amazing friends and we're so supportive of each other in our careers it's become an amazing network that has made quite a difference to my life at least I don't know if Kirsty would yeah, say definitely. the same but it 
and you when you find people who care about something like sexual harassment which is obviously an incredibly serious thing you have a network of people who are incredibly like-minded in terms of what they think companies should be like and how people should be treated at work and it's really empowering so that's yeah. that's a good outcome of, of obviously an initially grim situation it is incredibly great and empowering so far i was i was chatting to uh, an hr person today and i was saying you know I- I would like to see companies come out and make a pledge that they're not going to buy, you know, silence agreements from people who are wronged or they're not going to protect the, the, the people. And the, the HR person I was chatting to said, yeah, but ultimately the job is to try and protect the company's reputation. And so if company A has this sexual harassment case, they don't want it reaching court, so they, they buy someone's silence on it. And simultaneously, I get that, but then I'm, I'm sort of deeply despondent about it. You've seen stories that eventually come to light, which are, you know, this person went to another company, got a job, and then actually the, the attention was drawn to the fact that they were paid off from their last place. Number one, they shouldn't be paid off if they've done this. But number two, you know, they were given big leaving due. They were, they were given sort of a good reference. Strikes me that I'm, I'm thrilled that you're talking to HR company, uh, HR mm. departments, because the more pressure that can be kept, it seems to be like, you know, if we can make it seem like companies are having to pledge that they're committed to these things, then it seems that important, important yeah. stake. I think it would be hard. I, I hope that it will be harder for HR companies to just brush this under the carpet or issue non-disclosure agreements. Um, I mean, I think they seem to be in some cases swifter to act now because it is on the mainstream agenda and... I think if there's a more of a community of women speaking out and empowering each other and working together, then it is harder to kind of silence those voices if there's lots of voices. Yeah, and despite suspecting that there's probably gaps in terms of policies and things at media organisations, we've seen lots of people get suspended and even fired um, since the Harvey Weinstein allegations. So obviously companies are taking action and that's that's heartening and it's probably because of all the chat in the media. So it does mean something and it has made tangible difference already. It's really good to know that. Tell me this. So... In the week that we're recording this, James Franco has had like a remarkable week from going from Golden Globe winning <laughs> to, you know, in a in a Me Too style situation. And then uh, Aziz and Zari's had the same. Are these things helpful to the movement or are they are they a distraction? Because they they're very they're very clearly on a, on a spectrum of male toxicity, right? You know, the Aziz and Zari, as much as I can see it, and I'm just a, an outside person looking at it, looks like a really horrible, um, insensitive date gun wrong. It, it, it sort of feels like someone pushing sexuality too far. But is that helpful that there's this continuous volume of things? Or do you think it, it deadens the impact of the stories? I think probably both of those perspectives on that are true. I mean, we obviously support anyone coming forward with any kind of thing that's made them uncomfortable. So that in terms of the right of women to speak out, whether it's a difficult date or a workplace harassment situation, we'd support that. But when you talk about things like um, the Aziz and Zari allegation, that it's, it's really interesting. It's very different. It's not in a workplace. It is a date gone horribly wrong. Um, from what I read, you can't really tell whether whether he wasn't aware and is very sorry or was doing something consciously bad. But the thing that, that makes this quite a good example of of um, people say that this is a witch hunt, there's been that sort of claim that, that women are trying to bring down powerful men in whatever industry. And the Aziz Ansari example is really good because the, um, 
date that I believe he sort of allegedly went on, the woman did raise it with him at the time and she showed some text messages saying that she raised feeling uncomfortable and he replied and said he wasn't aware and apologised. So that was a private incident between them that was resolved and the woman who's anonymous says that she came forward more recently publicly um, yesterday or whenever she did this week because she saw him supporting the Hollywood Time's Up campaign and felt that he was being hypocritical about it. So in that case, you can see very, very clearly that it's not a witch hunt. She didn't, when that happened, she didn't use it to bring down some famous actor, um, et cetera, et cetera. She's speaking out because his public demeanor didn't seem to match up with what she knew about him privately. And that is the whole issue that we're talking about. Yeah. If you think of Weinstein, very powerful, famous, popular man, um, and all these things were going on privately that were horrible. And it's very important that those two sides of someone's persona match up. Not linking the, you know, not saying that the Aziz Ansari allegations are linked to the Weinstein allegations in that kind of way, but it's this gap between public and private that we're kind of breaking through by having these conversations, and and they are uncomfortable and they are on a huge spectrum. But it's it's the fact that lots of men might be supporting these kinds of campaigns and perhaps not checking their own behaviour and not being aware of it, which we're fine with. As I say, you, we're we acknowledge that someone might have done something and made someone uncomfortable and not known, and those are the blurry areas but if someone tells you then you know and you think about it so it's it's the vocalizing of all these things is helpful yeah. but yes when you when you talk about sort of a famous actor and a, and a date that's gone wrong and been, been pressured and uncomfortable uh, allegedly it's not the same as someone being abused when they're working for a contract for a media organization so it does get blurry and you bring up a lot of sort of complex gender arguments but we're, we're happy to try and have them definitely mm. Yeah, and I think that it is painful and it is unwieldy and overwhelming. <coughs> Sorry. And um, yeah, it's uncomfortable for a lot of people, but there's such an outpouring because, you know, people, ha women haven't really had a platform to speak um, in this way before. So I think it, we can't really, you know, it would be very problematic for us to say, oh, okay, we've had, we've, we've heard enough now. Can you not share your story? I mean, it's every story is valid and every story should be heard I think and every story the starting point should be one of believing them and listening to them because as Louise mentioned it is really hard to come forward with those kind of stories tell me this so when you both started out in media did you have any idea that these things would happen is this a, is this a, is this a, look you know I'll be honest with you um it's sort of male white privilege but I was oblivious to these things happening. I, I saw something recently in the follow-up to Harvey Weinstein, and someone said, okay, everyone involved in Hollywood said it was obvious. Everyone knew his name. <coughs> and so I said to the people who worked with me, and I said to other people, I said, so if we found ourselves in that situation, who are the people it's obvious about? Because they don't, they're not screaming out to me. And uh, I think, actually, my perspective as a man... I, I was just oblivious to some things that maybe weren't there. Are these are society things, or was it just far more evident in a freelance-infused work environment like journalism? Actually, it was just stepped up an, another gear. So, and and as, as, I guess as a consequence of that, is it then just in journalism and just in show business, or is this, is this everywhere? I know there's two questions there. Mm. But. I think... All industries are very different. And if we look back to the Harvey Weinstein example, that's an example in which he was able to uh, be abusive because of the situations he was in with rooms and massages and all these kinds of things. Um, but if you think about journalism, for example, the, what 
a sort of going into journalism as a young person. No, I didn't know. And I and I'd happily say that I didn't know about the extent of, of things I've heard until we all started talking about this a right. few months ago. You know, it's I think it's it's not some sort of smug thing where where the people who knew everything should be really proud. In fact, quite the opposite in some cases. But I'm happy to say that having now talked to lots more women in journalism of a really similar level and sort of age to me, I've learned about lots of things I didn't know about because I personally haven't experienced that much harassment. And of course, no one knows that much beyond their own perspective until we all start talking about it. And that's kind of what's happening now. So I wouldn't expect lots of men in any all industries to know about anything in their own industry if it was only women and no one was listening, you know, so it's quite understandable that anyone would feel that way, I think. Um, What's the second part of your question? Sorry. Yeah, and just whether the, whether this is therefore exclusive to these sort of contract-heavy, freelance-heavy industries. I'm interested. I saw that, you know, there's not much evidence that this has spilled into other in- industries. But I saw that this had gone into, I guess, theatrical and television work with Not Surprising. Uh, is it going to go elsewhere? Yeah, I think... Is it, it strength in numbers? I think it absolutely is a problem across all industries and yeah we've we're already in conversation with other industries about their own um, respective groups that they're that they're organizing uh, i think you know looking at hollywood or even women in journalism we have a particular we have a certain platform we have columns or we have um you know we have fame in terms of actresses maybe uh so i think one of the th- important things is to remember that there are a lot of people that don't have that voice or that platform at all so we have to champion them as well i think the the time the time magazine the silence breakers women of the year person of the year they they had a dishwasher in there and they had a fruit picker um and i think uh yeah the dishwasher was talking about her supervisor making advances and her turning him down and then he cut her shifts and cut her hours and messed her around with with her shifts Uh, and she was felt very disempowered by that and i think there's that's probably the case with lots of lots of women all over the world so and they don't have a voice or a platform so i think that's one of the great things about the times up movement is that they are creating this legal aid fund where they will help women who come forward and pay their legal fees because obviously they're extortionate and a lot that that writes off a lot of women from being able to take that kind of action right okay and is that do you think that will come to the uk do you think that that's times up is american isn't it yeah um i think there are I'm sure if, right. if there aren't already things right. going on that, there you know, should, that yeah. it's yeah. very much an excellent idea and it's definitely been received and welcomed worldwide. I think their fund is probably only for American yeah. victims of, of this kind of thing, but I'm sure there'll be similar stuff in the UK. And, we, you know, we're, we're very much sharing the same sentiment. We're not fundraising currently for legal defence, but I'm sure other, other organisations will, will be springing up doing that quite soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's do this. Right, so someone has checked themselves a man right okay someone listening a man they've checked themselves they think their previous dating behavior has been good exemplary they haven't they don't think they've done any of these things i mean maybe they have done bad things and they, and they need to make amends for that they're in an office now and they've probably you know what should that person be thinking what should that person be doing should they be uh, I don't know. You, you tell me what, what are the sort of small micro steps that every every man should be doing in an office environment? I think it's definitely men and women because, like, a big part of this thing is that yes, a lot of the victims of sexual harassment are women, but we're very aware it can be men as well. It's really a power issue. In terms of little things that people can do, I think it's completely just about awareness. So being aware of the power structure around you. Work is a really clear one, and that's what we campaign around in the second source. So. If you're at work in the office, think about who's around you and think about the decisions that are being made. So particularly perhaps if you're a white man, but think about who's being invited to that important meeting, who's being invited to speak on that panel, because this all comes, obviously that doesn't doesn't seem like it might directly relate to sexual harassment, but it all comes back to representation and just listening to people. So, um, for example, there's been some men who started refusing doing all male panels, um, which I think is a really admirable thing. You know, it's just a gesture, but it will just make the organiser of that panel think, oh, yeah, I should have invited hopefully more than one woman, but a woman. And when you get more perspectives like that, you get a culture shifting where there are people who have more experience at this kind of thing. I think another really important thing to do is just listen to people. And if you hear a comment that you think is is inappropriate or you see someone being treated in a way that just makes spark some little things in your head whether that be a woman or perhaps a person of color or someone who's in any kind of minority or unusual situation in your workplace ask them if it was okay um we've talked about this and no one appreciates someone going up to them and just saying have you experienced sexual harassment because that probably could be a, a question with a traumatic answer if they have but if you witness something you can just say i heard i noticed that guy say that to you are you all right? Did you like? Did you think that was bad? And then just start that conversation because so much of this has been private and secret. So just kind of, it's that. It sounds basic, but it's obviously what's not been happening is people just being a bit more aware and just looking out for people. And if you think someone's been treated unfairly, tell them you think that and tell them that you support them. You can help them go and tell someone if they need to and, and help them work out what to do about it. Yeah, great. Definitely. It's about being mindful of, as Louise said, who's represented in that room and who who you're giving a platform to. I mean, I've been a commissioning editor in the past and we were, we were quite good at thinking about who we were commissioning um, and, you know, is it all men that we're commissioning? And also who who's speaking in the pieces themselves if, you know, if it's all sort of a piece of where it's all male experts you could probably f- try and find a woman to speak in that piece of so that there's another voice there's a brevity of different voices um and just small things like that and yeah panels and just being aware of equality and who's speaking and whose voice is dominant there and are you hearing from everyone is really important i've found with the panel thing that if you tell a panel organizer that you won't participate if there's a, if there's no women 
even if someone pulls out at the last minute that means that it's only men. So I've said to people specifically, I want you to know that even if the woman that you've got lined up pulls out, I will not contribute to the panel. Mm. So if you've only got one woman, you are leaving yourself exposed to doing tactic. that. That's a great tactic. Then they, it forces them to take the risk for it. And I have to say, there's certain industries, the sports industry seem unwilling to do that. Maybe it's because of the people who work in sport, but, um, but most industries gulp but take the ownership of it. Mm. So. I think as well as just women, we, we want to, we're an intersectional organisation, so it can't just be white women, you have to be conscious of women of colour as well and with disabilities and, you know, it's not just white women. So it's being conscious of all of that. And yeah, maybe one woman on the panel isn't enough. And that's a great tactic of, to say that you'll, you won't be on it if the one woman on the panel drops out. <laughs> so, so to wrap up, if someone's listening to this now and, and you know, the, you're in the journalistic profession, so if they wanted to get involved in Second Source, what would they do to get involved? Uh, we've got a website, which is thesecondsource.co.uk, and we're on Twitter with the Second Source, and second is spelt 2ND in that one. Um, but you can also, if you go to the website, you can see all our names. We're all very accessible on Twitter because we're journalists. Uh, so can very much be found that way or, you know, found by our emails on our websites, that kind of thing. And we're very keen to chat and help anyone. They don't have to have experienced sexual harassment. They might want to help us out. They might want to just have a chat about careers. We're very much here to help. And as I say, we kind of see this as being linked into the wider culture and structure of, of our industry. And we want this to be a positive thing. So a lot of it is also about creating an alternative network for women which is why we're doing our events and we, the one we, we had um, at the end of last year was very positive and very, everyone came, around, came away feeling very good I think and there was a great sense of community and we want to do that in the new year as well. Yeah, so I mean, I heard feedback from the event that you had, and actually, you know, laughter filled, and there was, there was a lot of positive things. So you're saying if someone feels affected by these issues, they're not going to turn up, and, and they're not going to be sort of in this morose surroundings. It's it's actually quite a positive positive movement you're trying to create. Yeah, here. and that is important, and it and to be honest, that does play into the idea of how we keep this conversation on the table because it is so serious, but also you know we are dynamic people and we're all talking about careers in life and there's obviously lots of joy in that so we keep that up in our conversations and our events as well i think just you know to to, to finish off i'm just first I, i'm just so inspired by the fact that you in such a short period of time have pulled this organization together and and developed some momentum and i really hope it acts as inspiration to other industries and other groups of people to get involved you know i would love the response to what you're doing to be companies having to make commitments that they're not going to protect the people who are who have got us into this situation really and 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 companies making vocal stands to say that they're they're sort of setting up firm lines on these things yeah we'd love that too (laughs) yeah definitely great well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you again, once again, to Louise Ridley and to Kirsty Brewer. Thank you. Uh, all of the episodes are up on the website, which is eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. And I'm always interested to hear from you. You can, you can tweet me or you can add me on LinkedIn. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.